Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julie Ann Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont mystery series, cupcake enthusiast and part-time library book wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, dancer and homeschooling mum who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Hi, Pamela, and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens for our 109th episode. Hello. Can you believe it? Mm, it's been a while. <laughs> it has been a while. A bit of a while. <laughs> what have you been up to? Oh, you know, this and that. <laughs> having <laughs> having COVID, that was uh, a that was a while back. Um, and I think that's yeah. about when we kind of <laughs> went downhill yeah. and didn't have any more time to um to do reviews. I think I think we got to the point. I think I got to the point where I was just inhaling so many books. Um, needed a bit of a break and to read something a bit different for a bit. Yeah. Um, so we have, which has been lovely. Um. But yeah, just plodding through winter. Yeah. Which yeah. Um, in Melbourne hasn't been fun for many people, for anyone, yeah. I don't think. <laughs> what about yeah. yourself? Um yeah. Had COVID, um also. Went to Allison's book launch. Oh so yes. The yes. Near, the near Daphne experience. Um, that was a hoot. I've just actually listened to it on audio and mm. I, I was literally slapping, you know, slapping thigh, laughing. Yeah. It, it was just so funny. Like, it was, yeah. I know she's funny because she's a very good friend, but I didn't know how funny she is. She's so very funny. So this is Alison Reynolds for those who are listening who don't know, yeah. who um, runs the Kid Lit Big conference every year. She, it's, this was her first adult novel. Um, which came out recently through Affirm Press. Um, it's called The Near Daphne Experience. And, yes, very funny, um, mystery, very different too. Oh, very different. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. <laughs> Bridget Jonesy, um, but just so well done. Yeah. So masterfully done. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen, I've sort of, I've not read it, but I've heard a lot about this book and it did not disappoint. So, yeah. I think it should be on the Christmas list for people. Yeah, um, absolutely. What else have I done? Um, I finished my graphic novel. Yay. Well, well um, <laughs> is it ever finished? Uh, I finished that. my first draft and then had it edited by my freelancer, who's amazing, um, and I got it back and then I, I've sent it off into the ether. Um, I am actually waiting on a second edit um, because I like torture and pain, mm -hmm. um, but I thought I'll get it out into the world before that second edit because I knew it was going to take eight or 12 weeks to complete. So um, what else? Yes. I've, been doing, I've been doing an anatomy of a graphic novel series on my reels to just tell people how I started writing a graphic novel. And I've kept up with my reels tips for authors. So Yay. I've been doing reels of books, um, but we haven't been reviewing books because life has 
gotten more chaotic and it's not going to change. So mm. it might just reels from here on in and the occasional drop-in interview, but that's okay. Oh, we have an interview for this um, episode too with Jack Hanselite and Chris Kennett for their book Crossbones, which is a graphic novel by Hardy Grant, and it was a hoot. So stay mm. tuned for that. Yeah. Yeah. And but, I didn't even mention that I've actually been, you know, writing and finishing a yes. finishing a first draft and editing a second draft and blah, 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 blah. But anyway. Yeah. yeah that. And learning French. <laughs> I yeah. know. Learning French as well. well amazing. You know, I was doing um, Wordle and all those, you know, how there was a bit of a craze. Everyone yeah. was doing Wordle and all that, you know, Samantle and Quirtle and Octordle and <laughs> I was doing those at breakfast and just here and there through the day and I thought I could just be learning a language in this time yeah so yes, I started um exactly. learning French on Duolingo so that's been good and I've come quite a long way in three months actually <laughs> which is yeah yeah so um it's actually amazing what you can do with your time when you're not podcasting <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and tearing through books and editing yeah 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 Got to find the happy medium. Yeah. So tell us what is the title of your first book? Yeah, look, I wanted to review this um, on the podcast. Uh, I did read it quite a while ago um, and I really enjoyed it. And it is also uh, shortlisted for the Readings Prize. So definitely wanted to talk about it. And it's The Sugarcane Kids and the Red Bottomed Boats by Charlie Archbold, published by Text Publishing on May the 31st, 2022. Oh, great. Would you share the jacket blurb with us? Yeah. Andy and his best friend Eli live in a small coastal town in North Queensland between the sugarcane fields and the mangrove swamps. When Eli's cousin Jacob is arrested for jewellery theft, Andy and Eli both know he didn't do it, but they have to prove it fast before Jacob ends up in jail. The trail of clues lead them to a mysterious red bottom boat hidden deep in the mangroves, deep in the territory of the fearsome saltwater crocodile, Sebastian. Oh, this is so interesting because my husband Danny grew up in North Queensland. I'll have to mm. have to get a copy and see if he, um, how authentic it is, hey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what is the genre? What would you class it as? Oh, it's a mystery. Yeah. 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 Bit of a crime mystery. And what What was your overall enjoyment? Yeah. Look, I really enjoyed this book, and it actually reminded me a lot of um, Martin Chatterton's The Tell, which I reviewed way, way back. <laughs> I was certainly yeah. pulled along by the mystery, and I I did love the setting in Queensland's far north with the sugarcane fields and the mangrove swamps. It took me back to my holidays in Port Douglas. I've been to there a couple of times now. And so to me, having, even though I've never lived there, to me, the the setting was authentic. I loved it. Um, I also love the relationships between the children and the diversity of their families and (laughs) and the threat of this giant croc named Sebastian. Um, It was a, yeah, good. It was, yeah, just sort of simmering there in the background. It was a fast paced mystery, perfect for readers who love crime and whodunit stories. Oh, I have to read this then. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And what age would you recommend it for? Uh, I think it sort of feels best for slightly older children than I would have first thought. It's got a, a gorgeous, gorgeous cover, but as I was reading it, I just thought in terms of the voice and the fact of the main character's teenaged cousin being under arrest for theft, 
that it would be more upper middle grey than what I first thought. I tactfully suggested it to Manga Boy, um, and anyone with a tween will know how fraught this is, <laughs> suggesting yes. that they read something. Um, but he tried it and he inhaled it within a day. So, um, yeah. So to sum it up, I'd say probably 10 plus. Yeah. Amazing. Hmm. Yeah. And I also wanted to give um, a big shout out. Um, I haven't written a proper review, but about Nikki Greenberg's recent release, The Detective's Guide to New York. I've reviewed the first book, The Detective's Guide to Ocean Travel, back in episode 74 and interviewed Nikki in episode 75. And since then, I have reread the book aloud to my boys. And also um, we've just finished The Detective's Guide to New York, New York City, I think it is. And I think I waxed lyrical back in episode 74, but having read the book again, I loved it even more and and loved yeah. um, the yeah. New York City one as well. They are absolutely fabulous mysteries with such compelling characters, stunning settings and exquisite writing. Nikki has managed to weave in everything that is exciting about 1920s New York with prohibition and emerging jazz culture, gangsters, the rise of skyscrapers, so much in a way that's exciting and palatable for a middle grade audience and higher. <laughs> um, yeah. I would say that the detective's guide to New York city was a bit older. There's, there's a few sort of older themes in there. And I think the mystery in the end, like the, the, you know, the reveal was quite complex. Um, yeah. I mean, my kids both got, both boys got it, but I thought if they had have been, especially if joke boy, who's nearly 10, if he had have been reading it to himself, he probably wouldn't have completely got it. Um, yeah. You know, his reading's good, but it was just complex and set in a completely different world than he knows, you know, like yeah. 1920s, you know, there, there's alcohol, there's poisonous plants, there, you know, there's there's opera singer. There's like so much there that he just, he needed that sort of background of having someone that read to it. But, um, but yeah, he did love it. He really loved it. And I'm excited for anything that Nikki produces in future. I think she's got a long writing career ahead of her. Yeah, I read the detective's guide on our Brisbane holiday and it I was just so taken with it like mm. and I I have started the New York City but you know life has encroached upon my reading it's very unfortunate like that mm. um, but I am dying to get back to to read it now that I've heard your review mm. yeah yeah yeah, definitely. Like we can't wait for another one. I hope she makes another one. Um, and yeah, we have some really, some other really exciting middle grade releases to look forward to. Um, I'm really looking forward to this year. I'm reading one right now that is uh, a review copy and it's under embargo, so I can't say what it is or who it is, but um, mm -hmm. I'm really excited because it's it's so fun. Um, and well, we yeah, I also got Festigrim. Oh yes. Melamanda. Melamanda, yeah. I cannot wait to read that. Yep. yep. And I just received a review copy of Amelia Mellor's new book, the prequel to The Grandest Bookshop in the World, which is mm. uh, The Bookseller's Apprentice. Oh, my gosh. There was so much excitement when that landed on our doorstep, for, particularly from Joe yeah. Boy. Um, he was super excited. He's claimed the copy for his own, even though it's an uncorrected proof and doesn't yeah. have – and he wants every different – you know, every different cover that they're going to come out with, which I don't know how many things they're going to come out with, but he wants them all. Too so, great. yeah, he's yeah, very excited. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and, the, yeah, there's some others. There's um, the Nevermore sequel is coming out in October, mm. I think it is. Um, yeah. The 156-story Treehouse coming out soon. So very yeah. exciting. 
Yep. And I just um did a reel for this beautiful book called The Winterish Girl um, by Melanie, oh, I'm going to say her name wrong, Labrui, I think. Okay. Um, from UQP. And that one looks like amazing, but very um, Nevermore-ish in the blurb. So, wow. yeah, take a look at that one. Anyway, Crossbones yeah. by Jack Henselite and Chris Kennett is an absolute hoot. Um, sort of uh, seven to nine aged middle grade, uh, graphic novel. So much fun. Um, girl wonder just devoured it, and I had to go and find it under the bed. I think tear <laughs> <laughs> little things away. Um, but Chris and Jack are coming up in my interview next, so stay tuned for that. And we better say good night. Mm-hmm. See you next time. And then the all the um readings prize winners saw them all today. Oh. We, we went into readings. What this one I'm doing today is one of them. Oh yeah, who who won? Uh, it's a short list at the moment. So okay. So my brother Ben Pete, um, Peter Carnivus is on there. This one's on there. Shirley Mars Glasshouse, which I reviewed, is on there. Like almost all of the books I've reviewed. Yeah, that window. I think Aboriginal one. I think you Wheeler? did that. Willa, yeah, that's on. I there. haven't read it, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, oh, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, um, okay. Do you want to start it off or? Sure. Oh, I've got to stop yawning. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Pamela, and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens for our 109th episode. Hello. Can you believe it? Mm, It's been a while. (laughs) It has been a while. A bit of a while. (laughs) What have you been up to? Oh, you know, this and that. (laughs) Having having COVID, that was a a while back. Um, And I think that's about when we kind of (laughs) went downhill and didn't have any more time to... um, to do reviews I think I think we got to the point I think I got to the point where I was just inhaling so many books um needed a bit of a break and to read something a bit different for a bit yeah. um so we have which has been lovely um but yeah just plodding through winter yeah which yeah. um in Melbourne hasn't been fun for many people for anyone yeah. I don't think <laughs> what about yeah. yourself um yeah had covered um also went to allison's book launch oh yes the the near daphne experience um that was a hoot i've just actually listened to it on audio and Mm. i I was literally slapping you know slapping thigh laughing yeah it it was just so funny like it was yeah I know she's funny because she's a very good friend, but I didn't know how funny she is. She's so funny. So this is Alison Reynolds for those who are listening who don't know. Yeah. Who um runs the Kid Lit Vic conference every year. She, it's, this was her first adult novel, um, which came out recently through Affirm Press. Um, it's called The Near Daphne Experience, and yes, very funny, um, mystery, very different too. Oh, very different. 
Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. <laughs> bit, bit Bridget Jonesy, um, but just so well done. Yeah, so masterfully done. Yeah, uh, and I've seen, I've sort of, I've not read it, but I've heard a lot about this book, and it did not disappoint. So yeah, I think it should be on the Christmas list for people. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's what I've done. Um, I finished my graphic novel. Yeah. Well, well. Um, <laughs> is it ever finished? Uh, I finished that. my first draft and then had it edited by my freelancer, who's amazing. Um, and I got it back and then I I've sent it off into the ether. Um, I am actually waiting on a second edit. Um, because I like torture and pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought I'll get it out into the world before that second edit because I knew it was going to take eight or. 12 weeks to complete. So um, what else? Yes. I've been doing I've been doing an anatomy of a graphic novel series on my reels to just tell people how I started writing a graphic novel and I've kept up with my reels tips for authors. So Yay. I've been doing reels of books, um, but we haven't been reviewing books because life has gotten more chaotic and it's not going to change. So mm. it might just be reels from here on in and the occasional drop-in interview but that's okay oh we have an interview for this um episode too with jack hanselite and chris kennett for their book crossbones which is a graphic novel by hardy grant and it was a hoot so stay mm. tuned for that yeah yeah I, I didn't even mention that i've actually been you know writing and finishing a yes finishing a first draft and editing a second draft and blah 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 anyway yeah, yeah and learning French <laughs> yeah. I know learning French as well well amazing. you know I was doing um Wordle and all those you know how there was a bit of a craze everyone yeah. was doing Wordle and all that you know Samantle and Quirtle and Octodle and <laughs> I was doing those at breakfast and just here and there through the day and I thought I could just be learning a language in this time yeah so yes, I started um, exactly. learning French on Duolingo. So that's been good and I've come quite a long way in three months actually. <laughs> which is yeah. Yeah. So um, it's actually amazing what you can do with your time when you're not podcasting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and tearing through books and editing. Yeah. 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 Got to find the happy medium. So yeah. tell us what is the title of your first book? Yeah, look, I wanted to review this um, on the podcast. Uh, I did read it quite a while ago um, and I really enjoyed it. And it is also uh, shortlisted for the Readings Prize. So definitely wanted to talk about it. And it's The Sugarcane Kids and the Red Bottomed Boats by Charlie Archbold, published by Text Publishing on May the 31st, 2022. Oh, great. Would you share the jacket blurb with us? Yeah. Andy and his best friend Eli live in a small coastal town in North Queensland between the sugarcane fields and the mangrove swamps. When Eli's cousin Jacob is arrested for jewellery theft, Andy and Eli both know he didn't do it, but they have to prove it fast before Jacob ends up in jail. The trail of clues lead them to a mysterious red bottom boat hidden deep in the mangroves, deep in the territory of the fearsome saltwater crocodile, Sebastian. Oh, this is so interesting because my husband, Danny, grew up in North Queensland. I'll have to mm. have to get a copy and see if he, um, how authentic it is, hey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And what is the genre? What would you class it as? Oh, it's a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. A bit of a crime mystery. And what What was your overall enjoyment? Yeah. Look, I really enjoyed this book, and it actually reminded me a lot of um, Martin Chatterton's The Tell, which I reviewed way way back. <laughs> I was certainly yeah. pulled along by the mystery, and I I did love the setting in Queensland's far north with the sugarcane fields. And the mangrove swamps. It took me back to my holidays in Port Douglas. I've been to there a couple of times now. And so to me, having even though I've never lived there, to me the, the setting was authentic. I loved it. Um, I also love the relationships between the children and the diversity of their families and, <laughs> and the threat of this giant croc named Sebastian. Um, it yeah. was a yeah good it was yeah just sort of simmering there in the background it was a fast-paced mystery perfect for readers who love crime and whodunit stories oh I have to read this then mm. <laughs> <laughs> and what age would you recommend it for uh I think it sort of feels best for slightly older children than I would have first thought it's got a a gorgeous gorgeous cover but as I was reading it I just thought in terms of the voice and the fact of the main character's teenage cousin being under arrest for theft that it would be more upper middle grade than what I first thought I tactfully suggested it to Manga Boy um, and anyone with a tween will know how fraught this is <laughs> suggesting yes. that they read something um, but he tried it and he inhaled it within a day so um, yeah so to sum it up I'd say probably 10 plus yeah Amazing. Hmm. Yeah, and I also wanted to give um, a big shout-out. Um, I haven't written a proper review, but about Nikki Greenberg's recent release, The Detective's Guide to New York. I've reviewed the first book, The Detective's Guide to Ocean Travel, back in Episode 74 and interviewed Nikki in Episode 75. And since then, I have reread the book aloud to my boys and also um, we've just finished The Detective's Guide to New York. New York City, I think it is. And I think I waxed lyrical back in episode 74, but having read the book again, I loved it even more and and loved yep. um, the yep. New York City one as well. They are absolutely fabulous mysteries with such compelling characters, stunning settings and exquisite writing. Nikki has managed to weave in everything that is exciting about 1920s New York with prohibition and emerging jazz culture, gangsters, the rise of skyscrapers, so much in a way that's exciting and palatable for a middle grade audience and higher. <laughs> um, yeah. I would say that the detective's guide to New York City was a bit older. There's there's a few sort of older themes in there. And I think the mystery in the end, like the the you know, the reveal was quite complex. Um, yeah. I mean, my kids both got both boys got it, but I thought if they had have been, especially if Joke Boy, who's nearly ten, if he had have been reading it to himself, he probably wouldn't have completely got it. Um, yeah. You know, his reading's good, but it was just complex and set in a completely different world than he knows. You know, like nineteen twenties. Yeah. You know, there, there's alcohol, there's poisonous plants. There, you know, there's there's opera singer. There's like so much there that he just he needed that sort of background of having someone that read to it, but um. But, yeah, he did love it. He really loved it. And I'm excited for anything that Nikki produces in future. I think she's got a long writing career ahead of her. Yeah, I read The Detective's Guide on our Brisbane holiday and it I was just so taken with it. Like, mm. And I, I have started the New York City, but, you know, life has encroached upon my reading. It's very unfortunate like that. Mm. Um, but I am dying to get back to to read it now that I've heard your review. Mm. 
yeah yeah definitely like we can't wait for another one I hope she makes another one um and yeah we have some really some other really exciting middle grade releases to look forward to um I'm really looking forward to this year I'm reading one right now that it is uh, a review copy and it's under embargo so I can't say what it is or who it is but um mm. I'm really excited because it's it's so fun um and well. we just, yeah. I also got Festigrim. Oh, yes. Melamanda. Melamanda, yeah. I cannot wait to read that. Yep. yep. And I just received a review copy of Amelia Mellor's new book, the prequel to The Grandest Bookshop in the World, which is mm. uh, The Booksellers Apprentice. Oh, my gosh. There was so much excitement when that landed on our doorstep, for, particularly from Joe yeah. Coy. Um, he was super excited. He's claimed the copy for his own, even though it's an uncorrected proof and doesn't yeah. have, and he wants every different, you know, every different cover that they're going to come out with, which I don't know how many things they're going to come out with, but he wants them all. Too so great. yeah, he's yeah. very excited. Yeah. So, and the, yeah, there's some others. There's um, the Nevermore sequels coming out in October. Mm. I think it is. Um yep. The 156 story treehouse coming out soon. So very yeah. exciting. Yep. And I just um did a reel for this beautiful book called The Winterish Girl, um by Melanie. Oh, I'm gonna say her name wrong. Labrui, I think. Okay. Um, from UQP. And that one looks like amazing, but very um nevermore-ish in the blurb. So Wow. Yeah. Take a look at that one. Anyway, Crossbones yeah. by Jack Henselite and Chris Kennett is an absolute hoot. Um, sort of uh seven to nine aged middle grade uh graphic novel, so much fun. Um Girl Wonder just devoured it. And I had to go and find it under the bed, I think. little <laughs> <laughs> things away. Um, but Chris and Jack are coming up in my interview next, so stay tuned for that. And we better say goodnight. Mm-hmm. See you next time. Jack Henselite is a children's author from Ballarat, Victoria. He likes reading, writing and playing board games and has two very friendly cats named Teddy and Tippy. Before Crossbones, he wrote The Witching Hours, a series of spooky fairy tales for older readers. Chris Kennett has been drawing ever since he could hold a pencil, or so his mum says. But professionally, Chris has been creating quirky characters for just over 20 years. He's best known for drawing weird and wonderful creatures from the Star Wars universe and his School of Monsters and Nerd Herd series. So welcome back, Jack, and hello, Chris, to Middle Grade Mavens. Thanks, hello. Joy. So Thanks for having us. have you on. I can't believe it's been three years, Jack. That's insane. <laughs> I know. I looked it up. I think I was, I came on episode 15. And what episode will this be? Over 100? Oh, like 109 or something. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's been all the way through a pandemic as well. But anyway, let's not blow our own trumpet. Um, <laughs> no, congrats. Let's blow your trumpets. <laughs> blow away. Um, So we've had Jack on the pod before and we know your story, but Chris, will you share with us how you got your start in illustration? Well, yeah. Um, Yeah, thanks. So I I started illustrating, I would say, professionally in about the year 2000. So I'd uh, recently moved to Australia from the UK 
Um, I'd been drawing ever since I was a kid, as as you rightly said, uh, ever since I could hold a pencil. Uh, but I never really did anything with that. It was always just uh, famous for friends and family, that you know, that sort of thing. But it was always something I was really interested in doing. And so once I moved here, I didn't really have any career path. So I just thought I'll, I'll just do what I can do and see what see where that leads me yeah and I started out doing uh, caricature work for people that was like one of my main sources of income for for a long time Uh, and then I taught myself how to animate with some some computer software that I discovered and I got a job creating online um, greeting cards and content like that so I actually started out uh, like sort of writing scripts writing like small little gags really and then drawing them and animating them and then that went on for about seven years. I, I did that uh, like full time as a salary with a website. And that went belly up in about 2007. And so I was scrambling. I had family. thought, what am I going to do? Yeah, I, I'd been coming up with characters through that whole time. But I've been giving those ideas away, essentially. Working for this website was creating and sort of handing them over. Yeah. Uh, so I come up with a with a concept called Alpha Monsters. My children were in kinder at the time, so I was making it primarily for them. Sent that away to Scholastic uh, as a concept, not even as a story, but just as a, a framework. And um, they really liked it. And so in 2011, my first picture book uh, was released, which was called Alpha Monsters. And yeah. I've been working with them ever since, as well as um, sort of flip-flopping back and forth uh, in the world of animation as well so uh yeah that that early career doing greeting cards sort of set me up um and gave me um some opportunities to start approaching uh, studios as well as publishers so it was really it was really good that is such an amazing origin story um our little guy is autistic and he draws spongebob literally 24 yeah. 7 yep. And it's so weird to sort of see what his, his SpongeBob even a year ago was to now. Mm. But hearing, I, I love hearing illustrators' um, journey because, I mean, you've got to start somewhere and greeting cards mm. would not have been the thing I would have said <laughs> that you started in, Chris. But, yeah, no, an amazing, no. amazing journey to see your art now. I imagine it was very different to 2000, but yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And that's a really good point. And that's something I really point out to children as well if I'm doing school talks, is not to compare yourself to other people, Yeah. especially not professionals, not to the yeah. person sitting next to you, but compare yourself to yourself a year yeah. ago, five yeah. years ago. You'll see just huge improvements in what you're doing yeah. if you continue to do it. So yeah, no I matter what you that. choose to do. Mm. I love that. So today we are talking about Crossbones, A Dog's Breakfast, your very witty junior fiction graphic novel, which was released on July 20 by Hardy Grant Children's Publishing. So, of course, we have to ask, how did Crossbones come about? Crossbones. Who's going to go first? (laughs) This is all Jack. (laughs) I'll I'll start it off because it it existed for about two years before Chris knew it existed. So I better tell the origin story. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of have a, a bucket list of things I want to write about, like sort of that I've been forming since childhood, just things that I think are fascinating. And I ticked off a lot of them with um the witching hours. I got to do a vampire story and a dragon story, but 
that all finished up and I still hadn't done a pirate story. And I've, I've always really loved pirates. I think pirates are fascinating, you know, especially, especially the romanticized image of the pirate who's always setting off looking for treasure buried on an island, which probably wasn't where the real pirates were looking for their treasure. But I, I like the fantasy pirates. And so I wanted to do something with pirates and I wanted to do something with junior fiction. And these ideas were just sort of mixing up in my head. Originally, I was going to do something where that was about a little boy who was always encountering these villainous pirates. But anytime I was working on that sort of plot, um, the pirates were always so interesting. Like I, I, I was only interested when the pirates were in the scene. So yeah. it made sense to sort of pull them to the front, make them the focus of the story. And then um, for a hot minute, it was a crew of cats. And then it became a crew of dogs where one of those dogs might actually be a, another animal disguised as a dog and I thought that's a lovely little narrative engine that can carry us through a few adventures this constant tension of will this undercover dog be discovered yeah and so I I wrote up that story in the first couple of months of um, the big Victorian lockdown in 2020 and it was just an absolute joy to be sitting down at my computer and being in this fantasy world like making up these crazy islands that the dogs would adventure through having misadventures and looking for their treasure and I finished that up and sent it off to I, th I think they were Hardy Grant Children's Publishing then we, we had a little discussion earlier they were Hardy Grant Egmont now Hardy Grant Children's Publishing yeah and they said um it's great um, and we want to approach Chris Kennett to illustrate it and I was like oh yeah right Chris is a pretty big deal I don't I don't think he'll be signing <laughs> on for this book, but incredibly he did and so um yeah, we got to make it a thing. Amazing. Over to you, Chris. How did it come about for you? Well, um, yeah, so as Jack said, it was pretty much all done and dusted in terms of um, story. So um, a lot of people think that authors and illustrators collaborate right from the get-go, which is really isn't the case. It's a bit um, it's a bit misleading, that sort of romantic notion of um you you both getting together you know over coffee and just sort of nutting out everything from start to finish so when i actually get or saw the story or actually before that i actually had to do a test so i had to sort of prove my mettle and and um, prove that i was up to the to the job and um i wasn't in, entirely sure i had the time to do it because i did have a couple of other things going yeah at that time and um penny um from Heidi Grant said just here's a couple of sample chapters have a look at them see if you can have a think about the characters and um you know this section of the story it's like just two pages worth and I went yeah 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 I can't make any promises I got that on the Friday morning and by Friday night I was working on it <laughs> just yeah. because I just got sort of swept up in the oh this is fun that yeah. kind of got swept up in the moment I pushed everything I was supposed to be doing to the side and then I worked over it over the weekend and I delivered those two pages I I'd actually illustrated full two pages even though they didn't go end up being in the book they were really good um uh, litmus tests just to show what how I would approach it and um yeah you know and what the fit would be like um between between us two uh yeah and I delivered that Monday morning and uh that was that I got the job and I yep. did a little dance there's <laughs> definitely something to be said about when the muse strikes doing it and like if you'd waited six weeks to do that you may not have got the job would you like but obviously Jack exactly yeah you know they invoked the muse <laughs> so 
it's a win-win. That's right. Yeah, they just they just sort of spoke to me. So, um, yeah. and uh, as I've said to Jack before, I have been drawing this little dog character for a long time, ever since I was a kid, and it never really had a place. Uh, and it wasn't exactly as the spot ended up being in the book, but it was similar in that it yeah. was a little blue dog with an eye patch, and it just seemed to fit. Not an eye, not a, a missing eye patch, but like a round, a black circle around the eye. Yeah. And I just kind of knew that that's how he should look for some reason. Yeah. I just went with it. And also I didn't have the benefit of of time to sort of deliver a, a dozen options. And pretty yeah. much like the, the, the first lineup I did of characters was what we went up with, which is really unusual. Usually yeah. there's lots of back and forth, like, can we change this? Can we change this? Yeah. Uh, and they just seemed to work, I think, in in the, the fact that I just trusted every instinct that I had up until this point, used those sort of years of experience, if you like, and just thought, oh, this is how I think it should be. Yeah. And I didn't get bogged down in all the variations of how things could be. It's just like, bang, bang, bang. This is it. Um, and we went from there yeah I am astonished that they made Chris audition because I I just think it was always <laughs> going to be a, like I just I can't believe it it blows my mind because yeah again he did deliver this lineup of characters after about three days and they are exactly the designs that appear in the book like that's that's yeah. the level he's working on he he gets it but yeah. possibly also because I I reviewed some of the earliest emails I sent to Heidi Grant about the project and in one of them there was a bit of a design brief of how I imagined it so some illustrators I liked and there's literally a line in an email I imagine these dogs drawn in the style of Chris Kennett so uh, in a lot of ways I was already trying to vibe with Chris before he even knew the project yeah. existed yeah yeah I was picking up I was picking it up Jack. <laughs> bring the magic that is so great I, I love this story from start to finish but I need some more nitty gritty details here. I don't know if you okay. guys follow me on Instagram, but I'm a bit of a graphic novel wannabe. Yep. <laughs> so I have also delved into the script writing. So Jack, how scripty was it? Was it a full plot script with panel descriptions, scene directions, dialogue, sound effects? How, how full script was it? that you delivered to Hardy Grant? It was a full script. I would say it was as full as it could have been. Um, and like literally I had captions like in a play. I had uh, yeah. like every, every single page I had text in black, which was what I imagined printed on the page. And then underneath it, I had text in gray, which was my illustration brief for what I would want that scene to look like. And I know I could have done it the other way. I could have just left the black text there and left it to the illustrator to interpret what should be on the page. But I was worried about that approach because I never wanted it to be a case of the illustrations only complementing the text, which is, I think, what would have happened in that case. The full story would have had to be in my black text and then yeah. the illustration to just like a, like a fun little addition to that. And I, I don't think that um, capitalises on the promise of the graphic novel. The graphic novel is you know, part, partly the storytelling is in the words and partly the storytelling is in the pictures. And so I needed, I felt like I needed to be quite explicit in that because there are some pages where I was like, hey, this illustration is going to contradict what the text is saying. This illustration yeah. is going to provide information that's not there in the text, which is going to carry us through to the next scene. There, there are a few pages where there's no text at all. It's only the pictures that are carrying us through. Yeah. And so 
to tell that complete story, I, I was very explicit. And, and even just, there are some bits that are like, on a Matapeak caption, I suggest this sound effect. Like, it was very comprehensive. And yeah. I, I found out since then that that's, that was not uh, previously the approach Chris enjoyed with his collaboration. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really lucky that he sort of saw the wisdom in being like, oh, yes, I, I, I see what Jack's doing. He needs me to take over the storytelling when we reach this point. So... He, yep. he was a great collaborator in that sense. Yeah, yeah it was it was it. good having that that voice because we weren't having the conversation. Yeah. So it was there. All it was almost like having those my questions being preemptively answered. Yeah. Um, by Jack because if you're given a a little bit of text and then free reign, I've got absolutely no idea of you know setting and and atmosphere things like that, just even just little descriptive words that, that Jack uses in his um, descriptions uh, that yeah. um, just set the scene for me. And I, so I don't have to go back and, and constantly pester either our editor or Jack um, himself. Um, yeah. So from a technical point of view, what I actually receive is our designer, Hannah Jansen, in this, uh, this case, who's done a magnificent job. She basically takes... Um, Jack's text and she lays it all out in a in a PDF uh, the exact length that the book the finished book will be yeah so I know just by looking at it that there's this amount of text uh, at the top of the page there'll be some text that's got to be in a speech bubble there can be I'll uh, three panels with no text but a description of what's going to go in those panels so it's really comprehensive, and I know just by looking at that and then reading the um, the description what I've got to do. Yeah. The worst thing is is not knowing if you are doing a scene, if it's going to be a double page spread or a spot illustration. Uh, if you don't know that ahead of time, you could waste hours doing the wrong yeah. thing, um, doing a double page spread when you there's just simply no room for it. And then so, trying to go back and you know retroactively make it fit into a space where it doesn't belong. Yeah. So Hannah gives this to you before you start drawing. Like the text is actually laid out in yes. the bubble. That's incredible. So I can move it like it, but it's 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 really yeah. just a case of the physical space that the text will take up on that page. Yeah. And we have to leave uh, X amount of millimeters either side of that um, yep. for readability. Um, also, you know, fingers crossed if it ever gets translated to other languages, yes. that that space might need to be a bit bigger because of yeah. you know, a translation might not fit directly into that same yeah. area. Yes. So I can, I have the freedom to move it around and I actually make the speech bubbles myself and I put them... Uh -huh. Yep. Um, where they need to be, but just lay Hannah's text text into it. Yeah. Um, but it's re it's a really, um, <clears throat> what's the word I'm looking for? Um, efficient. It's a really efficient way of of doing this because it just eliminates so many questions, so much guesswork. I bet. That yep. when I come down to presenting my rough pages, um, they very rarely change from that to um, to what they end up being in the final book. So when Fingers crossed, you, touch wood. this is absolutely fascinating. I could talk about it forever. So Jack, when you did your script, 
Did you decide on what I would call the shots in the panel, medium shot, extreme close-up, close-up? Did you have that detail or did Chris then see what was happening going, this feels like a close-up or was it that detailed? I don't know. Oh, gosh, I'd have to review. I think there are times when I use the word close-up. I don't know about middle shot, long shot. Like that's the very very filmic words which would be appropriate in a graphic novel. Yeah. It was more. I would describe my 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 um, caption would describe what the storytelling focus of the scene needed to be. So I'd be saying, "Hey, here's what's important to yeah. tell the story in the best way possible." And Chris, being the master of the genre, can easily interpret that into what sort of a shot it needs to be. And also, once he's looking at, sorry, I've got cats around me. Once he's looking <laughs> at uh, Hannah's laid out pages, he also knows how much space he has to execute that shot. So. That's kind of I, I we we give him all the tools he needs to make that decision. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually got I've got a good example in front of me because I've got that original. They call it the flat plan. That's what yeah. they they give me with the the text and the description um, combined. And for those of you reading along at home, this is for page uh, sixty and sixty one. And the way I the way I was delivered it was um, as two separate pages. Um, but what I want, but I, what I thought would make more sense is if it actually was two pages combined, so that the the, yeah. the reader followed the image along to the other page, and yeah. then that was what was described at the top. But um, I'll, I might read out like Jack's notes as well because I th- I think it will give you what um, a sense of what you were just asking about, which is it's more about scene setting and not about the technical side of stuff. Yeah. That. Is left up to me so oops i've just lost it oh here we go um so this is where the 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 dogs have like stepped on the the flowers and they've like passed out on the jungle floor this is on the island of incredible smells and so jack's this is jack's description ed daisy spot and the spy master are sitting blissfully on the forest floor island flowers clustered heavily around them stink lines wafting into the air so that could easily be part of the text, but that's just that was just my instruction. So that's yes. the that's the note. And then on the other side, it says the jungle is shown again, tangled and dark, but now there is a flag flying above the forest canopy, attached to a wooden pole. Upon the black flag is a white skull with eight white tentacles coiling out behind it. But at this stage, the rippling flag is difficult to see. So that gives me that gives me everything. It's not telling me where we should be viewing it from. It's not telling me anything about the stage direction, but things like those little elements, like the rippling flag, um, I I could well have just gone ahead and done a full flag in in full view and full sight. But the the important part is there. It's not fully visible. So already that just eliminates so many back and forths and like, oh, can we just tweak that? That's not really what I had in mind. And all that second guessing stuff. So um yeah. and what I ended up doing with that page is is combining both of those. They were they were described as separate illustrations, but I had them um joined together. So we were looking down from above, yeah, put them on the floor, and then so we could simultaneously see the floor and the top of the trees at the same time. Yeah. So hmm. So I guess when we're talking about editing a graphic novel, it sounds like there's a two Step at least editing process. So, Jack, did you work with Hannah before that brief went to Chris? 
to make sure that you've got a complete story arc. And then after Chris is drawn, you then obviously edit, edit again. Is that what I'm assuming happened? Yeah, close to. So our our uh, editor and team leader is Rebecca McRitchie. So she, um, I did a, well, first I did a draft with Marisa Pintado, who was yep. the on, head honcho at Hardy Grant. And then uh, so I did a structural edit with her and then a copy edit with Rebecca, who um, took over the project. And then those pages get sent to Hannah Jansen, our designer, who lays them out for Chris, our illustrator and co-captain. And then Chris completes his illustrations and then they come back to me to, and that, and that, and then we call that the rough draft. That's the, the rough draft yeah. where Chris is, my text is on the page. Chris's illustrations are on the page. It's all being designed. And that's kind of like the first full draft we have where we can see everything. We can see the totality of everything we've created and really check whether the story is working because in, in my script before the illustrations are there, I hope the story is going to work, but and sometimes until you actually see it you can't know for sure and chris's roughs are so good like I, I said this the other day you could publish chris chris's roughs and be like oh yeah that's a good looking book but there's still finals to come like he's still going to blow us out of the water with his finals yeah. um, but the roughs the roughs are kind of my chance to just check that everything's there see i like and in the first book i absolutely made a couple of mistakes in my descriptions like i said i want a, a case of tools and Chris drew a case of tools and I was like oh goodness I, I what I was imagining was a tool role and I gave you the wrong information and I'm I'm so sorry and I know you're writing 12 books at once but can we draw this yeah. page again and Chris <laughs> oh, was yeah. like, of course of course we can but it's just all these little tweaks um we kind of make at that stage like Chris's roughs you could publish them but I really want the storytelling to be as seamless as it can possibly be so sometimes I'll say could we make this element on the page a little bit larger to bring so we have more focus on that? Or could we rearrange these panels so that the, you know the eye follows them in a different way? It's just little adjustments like that. Um, it's, and I think it's the most interesting draft by far. It's so fun yeah. getting to see part of this story that I didn't create, but then make it seamlessly integrate with the book as a whole. It's it's a really fun part of the process, even though yeah. it means perhaps might have to redraw something, which I'm sure is awful for him, but it's fun for me. <laughs> So, Chris, well, I, have, you... I have to redraw it all. Sorry, Julie, I spoke over you. I I think I forgot what my question was going to be. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's rethink. Um, so, Jack, did you wake up one day and know how to do all of this, or were you constantly emailing Hardy Grant saying, "What's the next step?" Like, how would you were you born knowing how to do a graphic novel? Because I know I've taken a lot of research to even produce a script. How to write a graphic novel. Um, yeah, well, no, there's all the steps in the process. Like what you've just described to me is really complex. Like <laughs> I think I've been I've been lucky in that I've read a lot of comics throughout my life. And especially and once you develop an interest in comics, some you can get access to comic book scripts, like some of the special editions get actually published with comic scripts at the back. So not exactly the same as the junior fiction that I'm creating with Chris, but I'd, I'd yep. seen how different creators had written their scripts and it was a, a mix of captions and stage directions and especially some of my idols in the space like Alan Moore are known for writing a very comprehensive yep. script. Like they give the artist everything. And so I think I was trying to emulate that, but then filtered through this fun kid lit um, vibe. So a, a lot of it after reading proper, reading comics and reading comic scripts, it felt very natural to just dive into it. Yeah. But it's also amazing. it doesn't have, 
it doesn't have to start out as a graphic novel. I think if you, you can just write a good story, yeah. and 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 then you can make it you can make it work. I mean, this is this is not a full graphic novel. This would be more like a hybrid graphic novel, wouldn't you? Yeah. You say, Jack, because we've got a lot of text, a lot of narrative. Um, there's there are speech bubbles, but they can be they can be thought about much later down the down the line. Yeah. There were there were at times even working on the roughs where I've looked at the text and I thought, well, that bit could actually be a speech bubble. So I've, mm. I've kind of removed it from the equation, which has given me more room um, to draw. And also the speech bubble kind of just made a bit more sense then. So it didn't, it, I don't think you need to get too worried on the, at least on the first draft about how every page is going to look at the yeah. end because you'll, you'll melt your brain. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That's a that's a fun part of the editing I forgot to mention. During this exciting rough draft phase, not only am I tweaking Chris's illustrations, but he'll just sometimes grab a bit of text and change it from a, you know, prose to a speech yeah. to a speech tag, which is really exciting. Yep. Yep. That's the Right, because you're only you're only removing like a he said or she said yeah, or exactly. something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there another one in the making, people? There better be. <laughs> well i'm talking about this exciting phase of where we get to see the roughs and do our tweaks and yeah i can reveal that is the stage we're at on book number two we i have returned oh. notes on chris's uh rough draft so where the first book was a high seas adventure through the island of incredible smells and the sea of teeth and book two we're going on a, a jungle cruise so a, through, a, through a dangerous jungle area along a twisting river so the dogs can uncover the legendary treasure of noah silversmith so that is <laughs> that is our plot for book number two i cannot wait yeah if you what think the pictures one are good book two is oh out, i've only yeah. seen the roughs out of this world oh, thank you. It's a, it is have. really fun what a job you just have the best job in the world <laughs> yeah. very fun Amazing. It's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> so we are almost out of time. Where can we find the both of you if we want to check out your books? Uh, I You can find me online at jackhenselite.com for blog posts and little write-ups of each of the books I've written. And if you'd like to see some genuinely bizarre photos from my life, uh, you can follow me on Instagram, which is at jack.henselite. Excellent. Chris? And yeah, likewise, just chriskennett.com. That's um, That will take you straight there. And uh, as for all the socials, um, I go under Crikey Boy. My my nickname from high school was Crikey. I haven't explained this to a lot of people. I'm sure people must scratch their head sometimes. <laughs> but um, yeah, so at Crikey Boy on Twitter or uh, Instagram, and you'll find me. But all those links are on my website too. And uh, yeah, there's a bit of behind the scenes stuff, not on Crossbones yet. I haven't updated that um, yeah. section of the website, but other, you know, past books and things. I, I like to put up some amazing um, roughs and things like that, that uh, some them that don't get accepted. It's not all, I don't always get it right first time. I should yeah. point that out. I imagine. <laughs> well, thank you. Come back next book, please. We need to know more. It's been a well, delight. Really? Thank you both. I'll see you in yeah. another hundred episodes. Exactly. <laughs> it might take me that long to draw. <laughs> <Book two. laughs> Thanks again, guys.
Thanks, Thanks Julie. Julie. Thanks for stopping by Middle Grade Mavens. If you'd like to know more about the Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, stop by julieandgrassobooks.com and to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckerman.net.